welcome back to the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. I am Erica Dutley, your host, and this is the podcast where I highlight, amplify, and document the journeys of fellow Black lactation professionals. Um, We are rounding out 2023 Black History Month. Um, And just a reminder, a refresher for those that are new here, is that I am at IBCLC myself, currently in private practice and the owner of Enrich Lactation based out of Granger, Indiana. And so for this episode, it's going to be a treat because this individual has really just, I mean, the growth in the full circle moment, um, and we'll talk about it in the interview, is just beautiful to witness. Sometimes we can't kind of see um, how things are going to kind of evolve and come full circle within our journey, but this is evident of that. And so I hope that you tune in and follow up to kind of get to know this person a little bit better by following them on social and amplifying all the wonderful things that they um, have set out to do. So without further ado, this week's guest and colleague is Charlene Albany. Charlene Albany is a proud NICU mom and owner of Supporting Our Mothers Initiative, LLC a company created to address the needs of birthing individuals in Queens, New York. She is an international board-certified lactation consultant, certified breastfeeding specialist, self-proclaimed lactivist, full-spectra doula, Brownsville Baby Cafe facilitator, mentor, and vice president of the New York Lactation Consultant Association. She gained an interest in breastfeeding after attending the Brownsville Baby Cafe program in 2019 and has been hooked since. Her future goals include starting a nonprofit benefiting breastfeeding mothers, establishing a weekly breastfeeding support group in Queens, New York, and creating a birth center. Charlene, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And yourself? I'm doing very good. I'm very excited to connect with you. You've been on my list of people to get around to interviewing, so I'm very excited. Me too. It's an honor. Thank you. So with all my guests, um, if you happen to tune in, I'd like to kind of take it back to kind of get a sense of how you got started. So pre-lactation, Charlene, like when you graduated high school, what were some things that you planned to do when you grew up? So for me, I graduated from Manhattan Center for Science and Mathematics. And at that time, I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> no shocker, I'm not a marine biologist at this point. I <laughs> actually didn't know how to swim until a couple of years ago. Uh, so that's where my mind was headed. After high school, I attended St. John's University as an undeclared major because I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. But marine biology kind of came into the into the forefront at some point in class. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I never really took the steps to um, follow up on that career. Um, so after taking a couple of classes at St. John's University, I got a a BS in human services. So I kind of had the core concept of, okay, this is what it's going to be like having a field working with people. And then I found out about the school counseling program, which also was available at St. John. So I pursued my master's and now today I'm a school counselor in addition to providing lactation 
in full spectrum doula services. I love that. So I imagine that there's a lot of transferable skills <laughs> being a school counselor and getting into the lactation field. Share what some of those could be. Absolutely. So lots of lactation before we get into the skills um, with working with clients and patients, um, depending on what your setting is, um, is listening. It's a lot of listening, figuring out what's going on, the things that are attributed to what the present presenting problem is, discussing with patients and clients their histories and how that might have impacted to where they are now. So I would say a lot of it is listening and motivation. Definitely agree. And so I love kind of exploring the point of entry that can happen to eventually land you in the field of lactation. So for people that are listening, going into a college with undeclared, right? You don't have to have kind of a firm set healthcare type of background um, or experience to really kind of maneuver into this world. <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I was lucky that my high school counselor pushed me and said, hey, take this AP biology class. And, you know, that worked out for me really in the long run as you start to look at the things that are required for the IBCLC credential part of the health services and sciences that are required before you can sit for the exam, I was able to use some of the opportunities um, to qualify. Perfect. And so fill us in on what kind of sparked the pivot into the lane of lactation. So for me, the pivot was actually out of doing research for one of my school counseling parents. Um, I'm a type of person who loves to give a warm referral and what that looks like and sounds like is more so I'm not going to give someone an email address or a phone number or an address for them to go to receive services. I happen to have a client, um, at that time that was expecting or the parent of the student was expecting and I wanted to share a resource which was the Brownsville Baby Cafe program, um, a community-based program in which individuals can go there and get breastfeeding support because they had indicated that they were interested in breastfeeding and they were expecting and wasn't sure how everything worked. <laughs> um, so one day I decided to also check in and see how the program was. Um, I believe that was around 2019 when I was expecting my first child. And I never <laughs> turned back since. Um, since being a participant, I joined the ranks of not only participating, I became a volunteer CLC, um, which I was able to use some of those hours, clinical hours to apply to sit for the exam. And now life has really come full circle for me because now I'll be facilitating the Baby Cafe program in Brownsville one month from now. Congratulations. I love those full circle moments where you can kind of look back and see all of this was by design, right? This is why I was on this path and it worked out this way. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. So for those that are listening, I'm always like to kind of be transparent with what um, all these letters mean. So if you could share with us, what is a CLC? Um, what entailed um, in becoming a CLC for those that may be interested? Sure. So a CLC is a certified lactation counselor. 
Um, for that course, it was through Healthy Children. They provide a one-week course, which provides basic lactation skills, um, how to assess basic issues, working with different types of populations and parents. Um, I also did eventually become a certified breastfeeding specialist because I didn't feel very prepared to work with families. So the certified breastfeeding specialist is offered through lactation education resource. And through that program, it was, I want to say it was about 90 hours um, self-paced. So that was perfect for a working mom trying to raise a toddler. Um, and it just had a lot more resources. It provided a little bit more of a wide of a wider point of view, um, and also detail into the things that I had saw initially in the CLC program. And now as a IBCLC, that stands for International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And that's just, that is what we consider the gold standard for um, lactation care. Perfect. Thank you for that. And you mentioned that you expected your first child in 2019. So was breastfeeding on um, your action plan? Was friends and family around you that breastfed their children? What did that look like for you at the time? So at the time, when I initially found out that I was pregnant, I didn't know anything until I started attending the Baby Cafe program in Brownsville. And after attending the program, it seemed like breastfeeding is something that I can do. And as I learned more about it, I became a little bit more confident in that choice and Ultimately, I did decide to breastfeed. The journey for me wasn't um, the easiest. My daughter was unfortunately admitted into the NICU after birth, um, after emergency, emergency, sorry, after emergency cesarean section. Um, so that first day, I didn't get the opportunity to spend with her. Um, and that as we know, skin to skin and early bonding is very important. Um, that early initiation of breastfeeding is very important. And I did, I did not get that opportunity. Um, but I wasn't deterred. Um, after 24 hours, her being in the NICU, me being in a separate space, I was able to be reunited with her and, and latch her. And we haven't stopped latching since. Even till this day, she'll be three years old soon, next month, um, we're still breastfeeding. So super excited about our journey and where it has gone. Um, I wish I would have had a different experience starting out, but I'm happy that I am in a place that I am now. Love it. And did you receive lactation support and did that lactation support look like you? I did receive lactation support in the hospital, um, in the NICU, but that person didn't look like me. Um, and also that person was very stretched thin. I could remember um, in the middle of the night when I was um, nursing my daughter, there was also a, a person of color um, trying to nurse their daughter. And I remember us trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, I had my daughter latched on one side and she was across from me. And I like to jokingly say that was my first initial um, lactation visit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that really got me going from that moment. After that, I I kept having a dream about starting something to support people to have the resources that they really needed. Because breastfeeding 
it's a natural process, but it doesn't come naturally for everyone. And when you have other things that happen during the birth process, there needs to be a lot more support. And that was absent for, for the both of us. And I was going to follow up with the question of when did you fall in love with lactation? But it sounds like that that was that pivotal moment where you kind of had that reflection in the mirror with another parent. Um, yes. And, yeah. Yes, definitely. When I was able to not only kind of get myself through it, but also encourage someone else that was going through the same thing that we didn't know anyone. The only thing that we had in common is that, hey, we had the same skin color and then we were just trying to do the best for our child that we wanted to breastfeed. Love it. And so when starting out, was there a common misconception that you kind of heard or understood about the IBCLC? Was that something where um, there were people around you who were IBCLCs who could provide a little bit more detail about it? Um, so I had to do a lot of research and figuring out what an IBCLC was. I feel like initially I didn't know what that was. I know there was there were people that were helping me with lactation, but I wasn't sure what their credentials were. And outside of the hospital, after I was discharged, it was very difficult actually to get an IBCLC to come to my home, even though it was covered by my insurance. So that was a big process in its own. And then when the person was able to come, the person didn't look like me and I felt like my needs were was not really met. So I really, really received most of my support um, in the baby cafe setting amongst support group, amongst other people who were trying to figure it out just like me. Yeah. And I feel like still it's unclear for, for parents and even for some lactation professionals on what all the different credentials, like the scope is or whatever. Mm -hmm or why would I could you know select this type of lactation professional versus needing another so I think some of that of course is on us as moms as parents to kind of do our due diligence to kind of understand the difference but then some of that onus needs to be on us as lactation professionals to kind of clearly explain and what mm -hmm. you may need to kind of adjust from a certified um, lactation counselor to an IBCLC and vice versa Absolutely. I think scope of practice is very important. Um, and I think the scope of practice beyond knowing it, you also need to know who to refer to when you do realize that, hey, I have this situation and it's beyond my scope of practice. Who is a person I can refer to so that the person has continuity of care and also so that the person can hopefully be seen sooner rather than later before the problems compound. Exactly. And so with you mentioning that, you were able to finally get somebody to come to your home. And it sounds like this was in the middle of peak um, COVID as well, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so that definitely adds a layer to it, but them not um, looking like you. So if you had to guess um, in the state that you're in, how many Black IBCLCs would you estimate are currently there? I would say, I don't know, it's, it's a hard count for me. Mm -hmm. um, I would say maybe 50, okay. if I was to guess, in, in the state of New York. Um, I was very fortunate to participate in a program um, led by Paula and also my mentor, Jennifer, at Jamaica Hospital. And 
they are single-handedly contributing to, I would say, 99% of that number. Lots of the individuals who are coming through this program um, for clinical hours are people of color. So it is very rewarding to be in the other side, providing services and continuing to support them because they are really doing God's work in elevating people of color in the lactation field. That is amazing. And so with that in mind, share with us kind of what pathway you went, if you had any type of trouble trying to select which pathway to go, because it sounds like that's kind of a perfect haven to be able to go and not only have um, clinical hours available where you're at locally, but also from people that look like you. So pathway selection is always a difficult thing. Um, There's three pathways. I did pathway three with a mentor. Um, That process in itself, because it was during COVID, was very difficult. There were some changes which allowed for some support um, virtually that you can get that approved. But most of my hours was in person through clinical support at Jamaica Hospital. And I would say that it was a difficult time because, you know, you never know what the next day would be, not because of the transactions at the hospital or how many patients will be on the floor. We were in the height of the pandemic. So tomorrow your internship could be over because the numbers increased. Um, so that of course caused me to be at <laughs> several hours on a week. I was doing maybe 50 to 60 hours a week just because I was afraid <laughs> that, you know, it might shut down again and I will never be able to catch up and get that amount of clinical hours. So that's kind of what I went through. I had seven to eight mentors. Um, so I really took advantage of being able to be in the hospital setting as well as receiving support from private practice mentors. Wow. So many things I want to circle back to. So mentioning the seven to eight mentors, right? And so people may only think that you can only select one mentor and that can be really challenging if the timing of your current job that you have doesn't align with the current availability of that IBCLC and vice versa. But mm-hmm. you can get additional mentors to kind of help to fill that gap, um, knowing that you can still, to my knowledge, still currently do virtual mentor hours, but also knowing that you can benefit greatly from having in-person, hands-on um, type of clinical um, hours as well. And then also being intentional with knowing that based on the situation that you were in, your timing of being able to have that in-person mentor could get cut like in the blink of an eye, right? So feeling like you need to really kind of jam pack and maximizing the opportunity that's available. And then I imagine just the layer of being in a facility where COVID patients and just people are sick in general day in and day out and you having a baby at home. So. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) I definitely was scrubbing and scrubbing out, scrubbing and scrubbing out, going into rooms. And then as I entered my home, I was just felt like I was scrubbing and scrubbing out 
to re-enter and um, engage with my family safely. Yeah. And so with that in mind, you mentioned the, the baby cafe and that aspect of the lactation support you were giving. You also mentioned working in the hospital. To my knowledge, you also work in private practice. So share with us kind of the different settings, uh, maybe any pros or cons if people are trying to figure out what kind of um, pathway to go as far as where they're providing their support. If you have So for me, I personally recommend participating in every type of place that provides lactation care. And even as an IBCLC now, I am still learning about different places that people are able to offer lactation care as a counselor or a IBCLC. My take on it, I think private practice is important, but I feel like private practice in itself can be very scary. I recommend everybody providing some sort of community level support, whether that's a baby cafe, whether that's a chocolate milk cafe, whether that is um, something you create yourself. Sometimes you just start with a support group and then it becomes um, a one-to-one -one client opportunity. I will also recommend if you do have the opportunity to be in a hospital setting because the level of care that you're able to provide in a hospital setting is very different from what you're able to do in private practice. And also you're able to establish and understand the role of a hospital IBCLC and also its limitations because you don't have the opportunity to spend 90 minutes with a patient to make sure that you understand their full history. A lot of the time you have to do rounds. You have to balance between your, your, um, your nurse floor and you have to go back and forth between NICU. You have to check on people who are who are in PACU. You have to educate nurses. If you're going through baby-friendly recertification, that's a whole nother process in its own, right? So there's a lot of things that you get to see in the hospital setting that you might never encounter in private practice just because the nature of the facility. And also I would say, if you're crunched for time, you would see a lot more different types of cases in a hospital setting versus in private practice. I feel like when I consider my cases in private practice, a lot of them have very similar themes, whereas in the hospital setting, I see things that are actually in the textbook that I thought I would never come across. Um, so I think that that's a little bit of the pros and cons um, that I kind of live through. Also, one of the cons and drawbacks of being in a hospital setting is that it takes a little while for you to quote unquote get credentialed through the hospital because you have to go through their policies and procedures, which can take a while. So it does take a little while to get into the hospital setting, but once you're in there, there's no, um, I would say at that hospital restrictions and what you can do to support the clients and meet them where they are. I mean, you just said a mouthful. And I think that's such an illumination into the different settings and the pros and cons of each, but understanding that there's a benefit and kind of doing, um, having support in all of those avenues, not number one for the experience, but also to better understand our counterparts. Mm -hmm. 
because if we're only working in one setting, then we may start to develop a very jaded type of um, feeling towards people that only work in private practice or only work in the NICU or only work um, in general hospital or different things like that or only work in community support. But it also allows us to have a lot more understanding um, when we're kind of um, referring patients, right? To kind of get a sense of what type of care they're needing because based on, and I'm sure with you being a counselor, you're aware of this as well, but based on the level of support that they have through family and friends that are around, maybe they really need that more um, impersonal one-on-one exchange from an IBCLC one-on-one setting, but maybe they don't have that level of support um, for community. So maybe they need to be more so in a group setting to be able to feel that. Um, so I think with you kind of explaining kind of the differences and the value that come out of each experience, I think that's going to resonate um, with a lot of our listeners, but also with me, because I feel like I've, I've grown over the last couple of years to kind of understand not to just kind of put myself in a box to say that this is the type of setting that I'm just going to be in for the long term. But now over the past six months, I'm like, well, maybe I'll kind of dip my toe in here and do this for a chapter out of it just to kind of see what it's like because if we don't try something then we may just be assuming that it's not going to be a good fit but once we're in it we may kind of get some invaluable information that we would not have been able to access otherwise absolutely and i would say it also allows you to stay connected to the field and the future of the field as well even though i'm not physically a mentor at jamaica hospital whenever there's any initiative like they started this wonderful pump donation program to provide pumps who, I'm sorry, to provide pumps to patients who don't receive pumps through their insurance. So I'm able to communicate with them whenever I have an individual who no longer needs their pump and it can be reused for another family who otherwise wouldn't be able to have access to it. And lots of other great ideas and initiatives that are coming through those programs so I'm really excited to still be a part of it in some capacity. Yeah, and I think that's perfectly put with keeping a pulse on what's going on, like on a more zoomed out level in the lactation field compared to working in silos and just kind of being in your one little bubble um, and not really kind of exploring or knowing what's changing around us and where are some um, holes that maybe our skill set can fill for the greater population around us. So you also mentioned working in multiple different ways in the field. You mentioned um, just generally being a counselor, but you also mentioned um, being a doula, a private practice. So kind of share with us, um, what are some ways that you, if you want to dive a little bit deeper and share with us the different ways that you work within the field and how you kind of juggle <laughs> doing all the things that you do? So juggling is always a dicey game. I think that... <laughs> Um, being intentional with your time and making sure that you have a purpose for every space that you're in helps to manage it on a day-to-day -day operations. Like even today as we're recording, I left a postpartum mom today and, and you know, here we are later in the day talking about lactation and, you know, where we are contributing in that field, right? So I like to say that I have a couple of different hats. I don't, primarily take any one hat off because I feel like the way that I'm able to contribute and be there for our patients and, and families, it helps to have all hats on 
at any time. So for example, a patient that I saw today, while I'm seeing her primarily for postpartum support as a doula, she has other children. So my counseling comes hat, my counseling hat comes off, comes on a little bit more to the forefront to make sure that not only the baby is well, the other siblings are doing well in school, that they're doing their appropriate transition activities. So it, it makes sense to just bring all things to the forefront and be able to support the patients in the best way possible in the, in the shortest amount of time. Um, so I like to try to encourage that as much as possible. I, I love the way you put that as far as not taking any hat off in order to do a role, but basically keeping them on and kind of shifting on which one is on top. <laughs> yes. And I also like you kind of sharing and explaining how the school counseling can kind of get um, into the work that you're doing. I think for some people, they may have a passion about something that's not lactation. They feel it's not lactation related and feel like they kind of have to make a choice and pivot one way or another. But I've interviewed so many people, yourself included, and you really kind of demonstrate on how you've kind of curated being able to do all of the things and using all of your gifts intertwined in order to serve these families. And I think it's just amazing. Yes, exactly. I like to joke and say I'm the full spectrum, full spectrum doula. I, I can educate patients from prenatal to pre-college. <laughs> Exactly. So that'll shift me over into the name and kind of how your private practice is, excuse me, private practice is set up. So share with us how you came about the name and kind of the idea with this. I, I feel like it's a very unique way um, to have a private practice, um, not just lactation related, but just in general for health. So the name of my private practice is Supporting Our Mother's Initiative. And it is a play on a mnemonic of the first two letters of my daughter's hyphenated name, Sophia Michelle. So S-O-M-I is where I got so many clients from. I love that. And even on your website, I think kind of the, the tagline is from prenatal through um, pre-college or something to, to that effect. So you're, I mean, you're like full, full spectrum, like you mentioned. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Prenatal to pre-college, cradle to college. Yeah. Um, and as as we even record this uh, session, it's actually school counseling week. So <laughs> national school counseling week. So it's a funny, funny way that we got this scheduled during this week. <laughs> love it. I love the synchronicity or whatever happened for, for this to kind of correlate with that. And so being a school counselor, you are a mom who's currently breastfeeding. You work in private practice. How in the world do you structure your schedule? If you're looking at your calendar, is there any type of logistics where you kind of got in a pattern to say that on these days, I do X, Y, and Z? Any type of insight for us that are still trying to figure our schedules out? So schedules kind of change, right? I want everybody to understand that my schedule more so doesn't have like a firm stamp. I more so have themes, <laughs> If that makes sense, like on some days I focus on doula stuff. Monday through Friday during the daytime hours, I know that I'm going to be in the office. So I'm going to be focusing and putting my school counselor hat to the forefront. And mostly evenings and weekends, I prioritize my time for lactation visits. If you know any clients, most of the time that help is really available nine to five. There's not many people who are available 
after work hours. So that's kind of the niche that I kind of feel I'm able to provide that evening support and also weekend support, which is usually not present in some hospitals. And if it's a really dire situation, I might do a 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. Um, home visit if that's something that requires. Wow. And my schedule can accomplish that. Yeah. And I, I mean, for people listening, I think one of the things that I struggle with early on with being my own boss and being having uh, more autonomy with my schedule was breaking out of this traditional thinking of normal, quote unquote, business hours of nine to five. But you're right, is that most moms, most parents that are breastfeeding are more than likely either working or trying to maneuver like school activities during those hours. And mm -hmm. so doesn't work for them to be able to kind of strategize to get support so for people that are like I, I'm trying to fit time in to do these lactation consoles during these hours you don't have to you can do it outside of those hours and I'm sure those moms and those parents really appreciate having an option um, at 7 p.m or on a Sunday afternoon or a morning I mean a 1 a.m <laughs> having to be able to have a consult is just phenomenal so you can think outside of the box and really fill a lot of gaps that I'm sure is is local to where you're at or even remotely from where you're at so I, I mean you are dropping some some insights insider knowledge here <laughs> so what is the fuel if you will that keeps you going on those more challenging days so if you have like a challenging um, work day in the school or if you have a challenging um, case and you're feeling kind of drained but need to kind of pivot over and go to another consult how do you kind of maneuver through that I would say two primary things remembering my why um, in the school counseling setting things can be in flux right just like a you walk into a home visit or you have a virtual visit and you have a idea of what might be going on but then when you will start the consult, you realize that that's absolutely not what's going on. And there are so many other layers to the onion that you are just now discovering that is contributing to your present feeling. Um, my students, and, and we call them scholars at my school, are a very big part of my life. And oftentimes, before I became pregnant, the parents in the school would say, when are you going to be pregnant? When is it going to be your turn? We want to shout and encourage you as a parent and i remember my first time when i found out that i was pregnant and we actually did a celebration in the school and a gender reveal with the students because literally they were my children um i like to always joke and say they're my children but they go home to their real parents at the end <laughs> of the day um so that has been a very rewarding experience seeing them grow up. I have students that come back and visit. Some of them are now headed to college. Some of them have had babies. Some of them reached out, actually. One of my former students that I was working with when I was in college as a mentor through the Gear Up program had a baby and I was her doula um, so many years later. So lots of things come full circle and you realize that you leave an imprint on people's lives the best way you can. Sometimes you're able to see that immediate impact, but sometimes you're not. But just knowing that you're putting your best foot forward to make sure that the future is a little bit brighter, that's what keeps me going and gives me fuel. I love that. And that's truly just a testament into the level of care 
and trust that you build up with these students and families for them to be so excited and want to celebrate and pour that into your child um, that doesn't go home or that does come home with you, right? <laughs> but to also to circle back to look for you in a non-school counselor um, way to be able to provide that doula service. I mean, that's a layer of trust that has been um, planted and bloomed into that person. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just a uh, response to the level of, of provider that you are, but just a person as a whole. Yeah. And so with being in the field, it can seem one way on the outside, but then once you get behind the curtain, it can behave or look or feel very different. Um, what yeah. has been a challenge working in the lactation profession that you did not anticipate? prior to being in it? The one challenge I didn't anticipate is insurance. When people said that, you know, if you have insurance, you can get access to a lactation counselor. It ain't true. <laughs> having okay. insurance does not guarantee you having access to a lactation counselor, nor does it guarantee you having access to a competent lactation consultant. That, part. that is able to come into your home and be respectful of your home and understand and even just look like you. So I, I think now working with some insurance plans, realizing how it's not as easy to become in network with insurance because I would like to provide the service, but that process in itself is a, N nightmare it's a beast yeah i did not anticipate that <laughs> yeah i i can co-sign on that so for maybe people that are listening they're um uh, like a cbs or a coc and they're just waiting to get this ibcoc credential and then have this kind of grand idea that it's going to be this immediate thing to be in network i feel like some people on the outside question why everyone's just not a network like why is <laughs> Yes. I can't you just kind of upfront take my insurance, but it's so much work on the back end. And it's not because of lack of effort or competency on our end, but insurance, they strategize to fight against us, to be able to be in network. And then if we are in network um, for like clawbacks and not paying us, you know, an equitable amount of, I mean, it's just so layered. <laughs> yes trying to provide that that upfront um, insurance coverage and the way they simplify it and ask to say that, well, if you have insurance, you get, you get X, Y, and Z. But you mentioned that sometimes you do get it, but it's not competent or effective or reflective of who I am. And so you have to kind of, you know, shop around. But if they're out of network, that's limiting. That's a barrier. Yeah. Agreed. And especially some of the clients I work with and get referred, um, they have Medicaid, they have Health First, mm -hmm. and they're not able to get an IBCLC through their insurance. So it presents a real barrier. Yeah. And so on the flip side of that, once on the outside looking in, what has been a joy that you did not anticipate working in this profession? I did not anticipate being surrounded by multiples. <laughs> mm. I've never really had interactions with multiples, but I had one client 
that had multiples. And ever since then, I have seen a set of twins every year. Uh, so that has been quite interesting because it is not only going through my private practice work. This is also happening in my school counseling setting. I have a set of twins in every variation of e in each of my grades. Um, so that was a real good joy. I didn't think I would have the experience of working with families of multiples just because I didn't see it much or often in the hospital setting. So that has really been a big joy to be able to assist families with multiples and seeing them grow up and create their own personalities. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, I think I've worked with two sets of multiples um, since being in the field. And I mean, it's a lot. It's a, I mean, doing a concept with multiples with just one um, baby and one mom or parent, you have your hands full. But then when you have an additional baby that is a completely, you know, independent person, they have their own set of health history and different things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, really earn. <laughs> yes. Work for that day for sure. <laughs> So looking back on, it sounds like around 2019 when you kind of learned about the lactation profession or maybe a little bit before, is there anything in hindsight that you would go back and redo with all the knowledge and experience that you have now? In hindsight, I think that I would take my time, um, really soak in the experience of being in a multiple settings. I would definitely take advantage of opportunities to shadow within the hospital setting a little bit more, um, not just with my IBCLC mentor, but also opportunities to participate in roundtables with the pediatricians and the um, nurse interns as well. I would also say that I wish I spent a little bit more time learning about what the process might be like to get in network with insurance because I would have had a little bit more of participatory guidance yeah. um, and been able to prepare myself because ultimately that was definitely one of my goals because a lot of the individuals that I work with are not able to pay out of pocket or do a reimbursement situation because their resources are very limited. Yeah, I think that's great information for people that are maybe, maybe you just sat for your exam and you're waiting the 10, 12, I don't know how many weeks it takes <laughs> to get those results back. But maybe you feel like you're just kind of like hovering. Those are actionable things that you can be doing, right? Um, if you plan on going in private practice and trying to get a network and starting to learn that process now, you don't have to wait in order to learn it. Also, if you plan on being in private practice, and I think I spoke about this with uh, um, Kiana Ayers down in Georgia, but really being focused on getting the credential, but really not understanding running a business, even yes. though wanted to be in private practice, that's not part of what's, you know, in the um, requirements to become an IBCLC. But once we get it, we're like, oh crap, what's, how do I get this EIN? How do I do taxes? How do I structure, you know, my company? And so those are additional things that you can start looking into. I mean, I feel ev like everywhere um, in the U.S. at least that you have like a um, small business um, association or some type of local government as a starting point that'll mm -hmm. have some great resources for you. But those are things that I wish in hindsight that I was thinking ahead 
um, to start learning slowly from people that are more knowledgeable in those areas. Absolutely. And so for someone who is going to be inspired, I already know, I'm listening to your story. What would be a suggestion of how to get started if they're right at the starting line? So right at the starting line, my biggest suggestion is just what you just said. Reach out to your local community and see what is available to you for new business owners. My favorite phrase in terms of preparing myself for private practice for my future goals is you want to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So I spent lots of hours attending starting your own business workshops attending QuickBooks workshops, attending advertising workshops. All of these things were available to me for free through lots of the SBA programs. So I took full advantage of all of those opportunities. Perfect suggestions. And so for those who are newly credential IBCLCs, they just flipped over and at the start of the year and now they're like, okay, now what? <laughs> what, what suggestion would you have for them? My suggestion would be to find another lactation consultant in your area and get connected with them. Have a cup of coffee, have a conversation. I'm a big proponent of also being in community. So if you're able to support any of the community-based organizations, whether it's a coalition, if it's a cafe or a chocolate milk cafe, um, and also join your local association. I happen to be the vice president of the New York Lactation Consultant Association, but find out what your local consultant association is and see in what way you can support and further the cause for the lactation profession. Perfect, I love that. So we are gonna mosey on over into our next segment referred to as the letdown. We have had a stimulating conversation. These are gonna be quick fire. Um, yes, no, and we're just going to let the answers flow. Are you ready? Yes. All right. We have um, people that are testing soon, um, next month, I believe. So for them, I'll ask this question. If you could only use one resource to study from for the IBLC exam, what would that be? Lactation education resource. Do you feel becoming an IBCLC was necessary to do the things that you wanted to accomplish? Yes. What is an app or website that has been invaluable on your Hales Milk and Medicine and LACMED. If you could only name one, who is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact on your journey? Paula and at Jamaica the Hospital. Shout out to Paula. What is one word you would use to describe your journey? Resilience. Perfect. Charlene, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Please let us know how we can stay connected, website, social media, email address. How can we get in touch? Of course, you can visit my website at www.somiclients.com. That's www.somiclients.com. I'm also available through the social media social media handle Somi Clients. I'm across all platforms. 
Excellent. I will have all of that information down in the show notes as well as on our website at levelingupandlactation.com. Until next time, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. Three ways you can support this show. Follow, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It takes three seconds. You guys can scroll on up and do that now if you're not following us already. You can share this podcast with your network on social media and newsletters and texts. This may be the pivotal moment that people are needing to give them that push to continue on in this field. And third, you can leave us a review. Please be very candid, be honest, so people get a sense of what the podcast is about, what, if any value, it brought to your life and to your journey. People want to hear that. And then learn more ways to support and read more about all of our past guests at levelingupinlactation.com. Remember, as you work with families or if you're considering joining the field of lactation, it does not matter if your words are evidence-based, if your bedside manner is trash. Let's continue to level up. Until next time.